What is up, people? Jean Carlos here with the Total Body Training Podcast, where I help people get lean, gain muscle, and build confidence. And today we have a really special guest. This is Ashton Ruska. Say hey, Ashton. How's it going? <laughs> the first time I saw this dude, he was deadlifting. Uh, how many plates were you deadlifting? Uh, eight plates on each side. Eight plates. So how much weight is that? That is 765 pounds. Okay. And I remember I walked into TSS uh, Strength up the street from here, and Eric, I think, I think it was Eric, was showing me this video of you doing this on your phone, on his phone. He was like, check this guy out. Eric, the tall. I think so. I yeah. think it was Eric. Yeah, yeah. And um, Eric was showing me whoever was at the front desk, like the people oh. who usually work the front desk. The big Eric. Yes, yes, big yeah, Eric. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big Eric was there, and Eric was like, I was just asking him about the gym and stuff like that, and he shows me. He's like, dude, you gotta check out this kid. He's like 19 years old. He's gonna be like the next Ed Cohen, and he's gonna surpass that. Like, this is the kind of conversation that was going on, and I was like, okay, let me see. And I was like, holy shit! <laughs> when I saw you deadlifting all that, and then you like, not only did you deadlift it, but you were the most excited person I have ever seen <laughs> do a deadlift. Like, in the moment you said it. And you were like, woo! Like you just like got up and you were Pumped fired up, up man. man. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. And then I see you, I think it's like a month later at the Naturally Fit Games in Austin. Yep. And you did you hit any records at that event? Um, I broke all the junior records, junior world records for IPL USPA that at that, that day. event. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's just say that I was really impressed <laughs> because I have seen you, like I'd seen you online and then I saw you there and I was following you at that point on, uh, Instagram. And I was like, you know, one of these days I need to meet this dude. So thanks for being here, man. Glad to be here, John. Awesome. All right. So, well, uh, before we get started, <laughs> I forgot to tell you this. I always do this. Um, it's a funny little thing that we do here. All right, so today's episode is brought to you by carbs. My favorite carb is, the, and you can say any, Ashton. You can say any carb. It can be candy. Okay. You got candy right here. He eats candy, y'all. Candy's uh, second. There we go. All right, what's your, what's your favorite carb? It doesn't matter. Pasta. Have, pasta? Yeah. Okay. Any specific way you like it made? Uh, when I make ramen, I always I use two to three eggs. I use either ham or chicken. Um, I use diced vegetables. Yeah. And yeah, ramen. Sounds tasty, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, you like your Asian foods, I think. Yeah. 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 Love it. Yeah. Awesome, man. All right. So, Ashton, you know, tell us about you. Tell us about when you first started lifting weights. Okay. So, I did not really get into athletics until I was about. 12 years old and I started lifting around 13 years old. Actually, no, scratch that. I started lifting on my 13th birthday. On your 13th birthday. So, interestingly enough, I started training for two reasons. The first reason I started lifting was to play football. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of 13-year-old kids wanting to play football when they become a freshman in high school. So, you know, you got to start weight training, you know, the the spring and the winter before. Um, the second reason I started weightlifting was because I wanted to be a lot stronger and I was a lot smaller back then. Um, I just wanted to be bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which you've done very successfully. <laughs> you you look like a bodybuilder, so I'm sure, have you gotten that before? I've been told that several, to several times over maybe the past, uh, let's see, probably like the past six or seven years, I've been told that a lot. Yeah, what do you think, what do you attribute to that? Because it's you're 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 less common in the powerlifting space. I mean, you know, there there are exceptions like look at Ben Pollock. Yeah, there's some um, dudes that are like yeah. really jacked, and then you know, then there's others that don't look as jacked. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what I'd have to say is, um, first thing, um, genetics. Um, yeah. A lot a, a lot of those guys, I'm sure, you know, not all of them, of course, you know, but uh, genetics does play a big role. Um, but it's not just genetics, you know. It's a lot more than that. It goes it runs a lot deeper than that. Um. It's the way you train. It's what you do outside of training that's really important that affects, you know, how you look, how you feel, and, you know, how you feel while you train, how you feel all day. Um, so you got to look at things like diet and sleep. Sleep pattern, especially important. Um, sleep is absolutely critical in recovery, and if you're not getting enough of it, then you're not going to be recovering the way you should, and you won't mm. be maximizing your, uh, your potential. So for me, sleep diet well i don't actually diet i actually um i just eat but what i eat you know i eat foods with lots of protein i eat foods with lots of carbohydrates you know yeah um and occasionally 
you know, lots of sodium. You know, sodium is good for pretty much everything. <laughs> um, of course, not too much of it, obviously. Like, don't drink a whole bottle of, you know, soy sauce at home. You'll probably die, but, yeah, you know, sodium is good. And then after that, when we get down to training, right. So with training, um, the way I train usually is considered power building. I've never called it that, but someone coined that phrase somewhere. Yep. But um, I get why it's called that, and it makes a lot of sense. So when I train, to look the way I do, I'll do the powerlifting movements, and my, my training will always be centered around those movements. So on the days I do those movements, the auxiliaries I do will focus on strengthening, you know, smaller, more minor muscle mm -hmm. groups mm -hmm. involved with those movements. And I think that that's really what's helped sculpt in me over the years, sculpt musculature and, you know, develop vascularity and a lot of other things like that. Yeah. And so, so we have a, a gen pop, you know, like just, uh, like most of the people who listen to our podcast are probably general population. So I, at times we'll just kind of like re-explain something or ask you just right. so you know. Yeah. So what Ashton's getting at is that it seems like it would be the trend and you can correct me that like most powerlifters just, you know, just squat bench and deadlift. There um, are a lot that just do that. Yeah, yeah. That just kind of do like the main movements and part of what has caused you to have like the biceps, the body that you have is because you focus more on your accessory work, maybe like arm work, uh, leg work, uh, intense hypertrophy work. Yes. Um, that is another big element of training. So intense, um, hypertrophy work. So that's huge. Volume yeah. I think is, is, is very good. Volume is especially very good actually for vascularity and that way you can see all the yeah. and everything else. Um, it's also what I like to call muscular conditioning for me personally, when I do a lot of, you know, volume and reps, you know, in the beginning of my training, when I get to the later portions of the training where I'm lifting heavier and a lot less reps, I'm a lot less tired. I have a lot more energy and it's a lot easier for me to get fired up, you know, and just, just crush PRs. Yeah. And it works almost every time. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Awesome. So let's go back to your youth. So you started lifting cause you wanted to get bigger for a sport. Did someone put that idea in your head or was it just you independently? You, I, I need to get bigger if I want to do this football thing. Um, it was a bit of both. Yeah. I, I kind of figured, you know, I, 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 you know, if I'm going to play football, I probably shouldn't walk in out of soaking wet, you know, 90, 95 pounds. Mm -hmm. probably, you know, I mean, I don't know how many positions, you know, high schoolers could play in football at 95 pounds. So I figured I needed to start lifting weights. I needed to get stronger. Um, and, you know, a lot of people make this, you know, uh, I guess I'll call it a mistake. A lot of people make this mistake, you know, where, oh, I just need to start training. I need to get strong. I need to get strong fast, you know. Um, and so, you know, you're not you're not really analyzing and assessing everything that probably should be taken into account. And you kind of just jump into things. And that's how a lot of people get injured or a lot of people get discouraged from continuing because they're not seeing immediate results. Um a lot of things like that. So one, to answer your question, yes, I, I knew that I needed to, to weight train. I need, I knew I needed to gain some more muscle, gain more mass in general. Um, 95, 95 pound kids don't do well against 300 pound kids. If you're one third of their weight. Yeah. Most of the time. Second reason. Um, yeah, there were a couple of coaches at the high school that did reach out to me. Um, in, in in middle school, I was a very fast runner. You know, I was I was relatively athletic. I would say, um, I, I was actually for my for my small body weight, I was actually pretty strong too. I could do a lot of pull ups. I could run like the wind. You know, everything like that. So, you know, I had some athleticism going for me. So, you know, the coaches they reached out to me. They're like, hey, well, you know, February we're gonna start lifting. Um, come come out, come lift with us. You know, come get some muscle, man. Come get some muscle over the summer. Uh, just keep training. You know keep training your speed too and then come out and play football in the um in the fall so i had nothing better going on <laughs> i was living in seoul korea at the time so i was i thought well why not so i did that and probably one of the best decisions i've ever made in my life to start to start training yeah that's awesome man so you kind of uh, essentially like built yourself up you know uh and you did it the right way because so many people do just jump into it and then they end up getting discouraged i think that there is this idea in our culture that you just go hard or go home and there is some truth to that but there's like a systematic approach to going hard and going home that people really leave out i mean i mean right from the get-go you brought up like fatigue management you brought up like sleep and eat those are the things that no one likes to talk about <laughs> those things like really affect yeah. how sometimes the the boring the boring parts of it all is, is what people kind of feel like it you know yeah how they feel about it 
Yeah, because it's not fun. You you can't you can't post a cool picture of you sleeping on Instagram. You Absolutely. know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not gonna be cool. <laughs> you know, and 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 we hear like we open up for question and answer all the time, and frequently people tell me like, how do I know if I'm overtraining? How do I know like why am I not seeing gains? And like typically, I would say that it probably has to do something with people's sleep or their eating. Massive factors. Yes. And people sometimes think they're sleeping enough. Um, if you're if you're a powerlifter, especially if you're a top level powerlifter. Five, six hours of sleep a night is not enough. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's harder to heal off of that. And, you know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. You can't always, you know, get eight hours of sleep a night, but just try your best. That's, that's, that would be my advice. Um, I know I don't always get eight hours of yeah, sleep, especially yeah. as, you know, call, full-time college student, army cadet, power lifter. It doesn't always happen for me like that, but I, I do my best to get as much sleep as I can. Yeah. So right now, you know, you just kind of brought up the whole gambit, gamut of things that's going on with you. You're a full-time college student. We've got all these things going on in your life. What? You know, to just kind of like back up, what are your current records right now in the uh, USAPL? What are your top PRs, I guess, in, in general? In My general, um, for right now. So in October of 2017, so just last year, um, a few months ago, I competed in the USAPL Raw National Championship. Okay. I competed in the Open and the Junior Division for the 205-pound weight class. Yeah. So for the Open class, those are the records I'm really, I'm, I'm the two records I broke down. I'm going to focus on. So um, the two records I broke, I broke the deadlift record. I set it at 777 pounds. Jesus. And I broke the overall total record. Um, the Hold the mic up. Bring record. the mic in right about here. Yeah, just in front. So that way it's in also, front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I also broke the overall open total record. Mm -hmm. So the total is the combine of bench press, squat, and deadlift. Um, so the overall number I set at that meet was 1,851 pounds. Jesus. <laughs> so that was it was not a bad meet. Um Squat kind of went a little bit better. I got red lighted on my last attempt for depth, which happens sometimes. But um, you know, it was still like all in all, it was a good meet. Do you feel like it was just that? You, do you feel like you got the depth, or do you feel like they were that they were right? Watching the video, it was hard. It was close. I would say it it, it could have been two to one in either direction. Okay. Yeah. I, I would say two to one in either direction. Some a couple of squats that I've competed in that have been red lighted, I think I did get cheated on. But a couple of other ones, I could see why it would be you know two to one. Like it, it would be kind of, you know, in that wishy-washy area, especially when you have a lot of spotters with 700 plus pounds and then it gets harder to see where the actual hip crease and the knee joint are. And the judges have a tough job, you know, they have to see it in a, in a split second, you know, and that's all the time they get. And, you know, that's it. So, yeah, it is hard. People tend to get really mad, but they've been there all day, too. <laughs> so, yeah, the judges, yeah. you know, they're there, they're working, they're tired, you know. So, you know, just the inner, the inner psychologist to me says, you know, be empathetic towards them, you know. Be understanding, be respectful, you know. Even if you get frustrated, you know, don't take it out on judges. Don't take it out on people that are going to be judging you for the rest of the meet. So, yeah, or people that you're, you're going to see like from yeah, time to consistently, time, consistently, probably like, at other meets as well in yeah, the future. Maybe yeah. for your whole life, <laughs> your whole P training life. Potentially, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, that being said, when when did you first start actually competing in powerlifting? I did my first competition April twentieth. 2013 April 20th 2013 and you were how old at the time um so that February I turned 16 years old so I had just turned 16 16 okay what brought you to competing as a 16 year old in powerlifting because it's not exactly like something that you sign up for in high school you know <laughs> like yeah what, what kind of so so what what um it's funny my my actual powerlifting competition career didn't really have a special start you could say it was just a guy named Steven Manuel he was one of the wrestling coaches at Bartlett High School in Alaska he said hey you know I've seen you in the weight room you know I've seen you wrestle you know you're very strong you should try this powerlifting meet it's in April and it was January at the time the wrestling season was winding down it was about to end and you know so I thought you know I he he says that I've I've got something, so I guess I'll give it a shot. So I trained for the meet. I just looked up, you know, different training ideologies. I was just doing a lot of research on, you know, what training was big and what was working and what wasn't working. Yeah. Um I I understood science pretty well, but I didn't understand science to the depth that I do now. But, you know, I, I think that I understood it generally well enough to gain a lot of like elements that I could put in my training that were helpful to me. So my first meet um, was pretty successful. I got eight out of nine attempts. This was April 20th, 2013. I was 16. 
and I had um, broke. I had broken national record deadlift for the 16 to 17 year old uh, category that Jeez. day. My yeah. first meet. Yeah. And that that meet, I deadlifted 540 pounds. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> and you were how much did you weigh at the time? I weighed a hundred. Because there was the 165 and 181 weight class. I'm sorry, then. I'm laughing because that's more than I've deadlifted. So, oh. so that's why I'm like, that's why I'm, I'm laughing. I'm just laughing at myself. Like, uh, uh, you know, I don't have your training hey, history though. So, it, it's yeah. not common. Trust yeah, me. Yeah. Most people do not start out deadlifting 500 pounds. So don't get yeah. in your head. Oh no, no, no. I know, I yeah. know. I, I'm not. It's just funny. It's just funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But um, yeah. So I was 168 pounds yeah. that day. My I was God. 10th grader. So that's like what, like almost like four times your more than more than four, right? Five times your three twenty. Um, it wasn't four times, but it was so one sixty three twenty four eighty, um, eight sixteen twenty four five oh four. It was it was over three times body weight, probably Jeez. like three point three, three point four. Jeez. So people knew, like when you showed up, when you started doing this, that you had something kind of special going on. Yeah, like when people <laughs> saw me like start lifting, they were like, "Whoa, <laughs> this kid's like you know decently strong." Yeah. You know? Especially for a young high school kid, you know. Yeah. He's, he's you know doing pretty well for himself. So. And was this through the which competition was this? This was a USAPL competition. Okay, USAPL, right from the get go. USAPL, right up in Anchorage, Alaska, actually. That's where the president of USAPL is. A uh, Larry Mal, Mali, I don't want to mispronounce his last name, but Larry, if you're watching, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, and I didn't know that. that was that was my first. I didn't know it at the time either. And that was yeah. my first meet, and uh, you know, I had a whole lot of fun. I had a blast. I loved the energy. I loved the crowd. I loved you know a lot of the community, and you know, yeah, this was only you know five years ago, but even five years ago, you know, the powerlifting community seemed a little bit different. You know, things seemed a bit more simple. Yeah. But maybe it was just because, you know, I was 16 and I was just starting. So it was, you know, it was it was a lot of fun for me. It was very fulfilling and it was it was a wonderful time. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's very good. So, you know, would you say that kind of ignited something in you that you wanted to keep continuing with competition at that point? Yes. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because as soon as I broke that record, you know, I stood outside and I thought to myself, I was like, wow, you know, and yeah, you know, I'm 16 and this is just one, you know, 16 to 17 year old American record. Yeah. This isn't, you know, anything huge or big, but to me then it was huge. And I thought to myself, you know, when I stood outside that, you know, I could really be somebody and I could do great things and I have it within me to do great things. So it was like that point that you started thinking about it differently. Would you say like you started yeah. thinking about it? I would more say like so. My confidence really rose after that my my confidence my my self-efficacy my confidence in my competency to do things yeah it all it all just it all started to improve at that point especially it was from when i was 13 and 12 years old you know it wasn't all there it was choppy um i don't think i was as strong and i don't mean just physically i mean mentally i mean psychologically i mean you know spiritually i just wasn't you know as strong of a person then but as time went on and I continued to train and gain more confidence in myself and I broke that record, you know, at my first meet that I've ever done, you know, that was a huge confidence boost for me. That was a, a pivotal turn, you know, that was, that was critical in my life and my development. Yes. Yes. And I understand, you know, as you heard, like at the beginning, I, our slogan here is, well, the last thing I say in there is uh, get lean, gain muscle and build confidence, build confidence, yeah. build confidence. And I feel like that sometimes gets like swept under the rug when it comes to people talking about fitness because they focus so much on like the aesthetics and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like wanting to have a nicer body and you know, that does lead to, to confidence, but simply, and I've always thought this simply the process of picking up a barbell and focusing on improving and like the discipline of like being somewhere consistently and doing it over and over again helps you grow as a person. Is that I what think you're saying? So. I yeah. Yes. I absolutely yeah. do believe there is something therapeutic about training and it's not even just weight training. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, weight, weightlifting, powerlifting, um, yoga, yeah, you know, um, just sports in general. There's just there's something therapeutic about it. I think for for a lot of people, for me even, and I, I mentioned this where I didn't have a whole lot of confidence then, you know, and I wasn't as strong of a of a person, you know. I had um, you know, I had a lot going on, and I had moved from a small area in North Carolina to Seoul, Korea, which is like one of the most densely populated cities in the world, you know. Um, 
and you know it wasn't it wasn't particularly easy at first adjusting especially then not knowing what i know now and having that confidence now that you know then so so for me it was it was therapeutic in a sense that it not only built my confidence but it was also an outlet of frustration it was a really good outlet of frustration for me and i think that that helped me a lot tremendously adjust and you know once I adjusted and I started to love it, I started to see things. I started to see the world differently, you know. Were you living in Seoul when you competed? In I lived in Alaska, Anchorage, okay. Alaska. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I understand. I started lifting in Seoul, Korea. I also started Taekwondo in Seoul, Korea. That's where, that's the birthplace of Taekwondo, actually. The martial art was Korea. Do you still do that? You still do? I don't do Taekwondo now. Yeah. <laughs> I would not mind doing it. Yeah. It's yeah, really fun. And, um, you know, it's the same thing, you know, with powerlifting, it it builds that confidence, you know, it builds confidence, it builds self-efficacy, it it builds, you know, it just builds you, it builds you from, from there up. It's, it's a wonderful sport. Um, it's a wonderful martial art. Yeah. 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 That is, that is really awesome, man. So you have this sort of like, um, transformation that occurs and you start to build your own personal character yes. at that point. Transformation is a good way to put it. What was your, can I ask what your mindset was prior to that? What were some of the, the things that you were struggling with? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. I don't mind talking about that at all. So, so be- before all this was going on, yeah. before, before I became the Ashton that I am now, yeah. the Ashton then, you know, he was, I think that he was, he was kind of afraid of, of new things. He was afraid of, you know, outside you know the outside world i think that you know back then i wasn't as as confident i wasn't as um strong and i think that was you know it was just the lifestyle then you know i just had i just looked at the world differently i was a bit more negative i wasn't i wasn't entirely negative or cynical you know i was like you know other kids in ways i love to have you know fun with other friends and you know then i don't know for some reason that area of north carolina you know like they're just technology seemed to lag behind a lot of times so we were always outside you know playing and stuff but you know my friends were all they were taller you know they were bigger um and like i said i was a strong kid you know i could always hold my own but you know i always just felt so small and you know you you feel small and you feel you know I don't know. It's almost like a victim kind of mentality almost, you know? Um, I wouldn't say that's exactly what I had, and I wouldn't compare myself to actual, you know, to victims of, you know, very, you know, heinous things. But that mentality, that's a thing that a lot of people, myself included back then, that a lot of young people really suffer with, I think. Um, Yeah, I know. I've I've had that. Yes. Yeah, it's huge. And so I can't get myself out of the situation. Um, feeling bad about yourself, feeling like everything is against you, yeah, that you don't like, have control. It's almost like hopelessness. There's a lack of control, and that's where the outlet yes. of frustration is really helpful. That that actually helps you. That does help you adjust. Um, it can help you adjust. But you know, and then you know, um, you know, my dad. He was enlisted in the military. You know, with the job, he was gone a lot. You know, he'd be deployed to different places. You know, gone to field training wherever for a long extended period of time and you know i grew up with four sisters and i had no brothers yeah and so you know of course you you could you could share the same struggles you know you know where we didn't have a lot of money or you know a lot of other things but at the same time you know it was like you know or we had really small or cramped you know living space but they, they couldn't you know our our struggles were the same in that sense but they were different in the sense that where I where I'm the only male I had this you know kind of complex where I wanted to be the male I wanted to be stronger mm-hmm. I wanted to be you know somebody that my sisters could depend on I wanted to be somebody that everybody could depend on and you know I had set really crazy you know standards for myself then and you know reality and my expectations were just totally different and I think that's where a lot of the frustration came from I think that's where a lot of the hopelessness and you know feeling just small like not just small physically but just small in the world came from but um you changed that I did and you know that's why I kind of wanted you to to bring I'm sorry I'm interrupting you go ahead oh no um I was just gonna say you know and I just there was a lot of other personal things going on then you know just whole ton of stuff um you know, with deployments, you know, between my parents, you know, they never really got along particularly well. And, you know, my dad, you know, when I was in seventh grade, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer. 
And so he had to go oh. through chemotherapy. And then after that, once chemotherapy was pretty much, you know, done with, we had to move to South Korea, you know, from North Carolina. And for me, that was all that happening at once was a lot to cope with. And it was one major adjustment. But I'm, I'm glad that it happened that way in my life. I'm glad that it, it all came at me at once. And I'm glad that, you know, I got overwhelmed because, you know, I was pushed and I was backed all the way into a corner. And the only direction I could go from there was up. Mm-hmm. And not every that doesn't work for everybody. Don't you know? I'm not. I'm not saying that works for everybody. But for me personally, I think for me to become who I am today, all of that was necessary to experience. I agree. Um, the impediment to action becomes the action. What stands in the way becomes the way. The obstacle is the way. That's a quote I like from uh, Marcus Aurelius, and uh, he's one I consider to be one of the last great emperors. Which usually emperors don't, aren't good. The best people. <laughs> people. People. Person. Yeah. Yeah. The nicest people, I guess. Yeah. They're not. They're not very considerate. <laughs> uh, but this dude wrote a lot of Stoic literature. I don't know if you're familiar with Stoicism. Um, a little bit, actually. Little yeah. Bit, yeah. When I took a lot of literature courses, I. I, I like dabbled with it. Ah, oh, man, I love it. And, uh, and you know, it's uh, the things which hurt instruct, Benjamin Franklin. Your pain points are there to teach you what you need to grow and develop from. You know, they're not there to hold you down. They're there to teach you, like, when, when you feel some kind of pain or suffering, that is an indicator to you to fix something, you know? And so it sounds like you found the message and then figured out what you needed to do. So, you know, given that we're on the conversation of adversity, is there anything you'd like to share about that topic? Yes. So remember earlier how I mentioned, um, you know, important things to training. I, I, I feel silly. I, I left out this detail. Uh, we, we talked about sleep. We talked about diet. We talked about actual training time, you know, um, feeling good, feeling well, everything else, confidence, all important stuff. But I forgot to, to mention adversity. And as an athlete, as a power lifter, as a martial artist, as a wrestler, as a football player, you name it, any any kind of sport, um, any academic endeavor even, you are inevitably going to be faced with adversity. <clears throat> and I mentioned all the stuff that was going around going on around the time I was twelve to thirteen and I didn't even mention all of it, but I just, you know, good general idea of what was going on at the time. And you know, there's just so much and you're getting overwhelmed. And, you know, from that, I somehow rose up. And, you know, after that, it's not like the adversity stopped there, you know. Adversity, difficult times will follow you through life. Um, I see life sometimes as a pendulum. It swings sometimes in your favor. Sometimes it swings not in your favor. All hell breaks loose and, you know, shit goes out the window sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, with that said, um, how to deal with when the pendulum swings the other way? Um... You, you have to, you have to, and it's going to be hard to do this, and it's not easy, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to frame the situation that you're so negative about, and you have to see how it can get better. You have to see how it can get better. You have to see what you can do to make it better. And if it's out of your control, you know, while it may be upsetting sometimes, ultimately, if it's out of your control, then you, you, you can't control it. So... You know, I'm not saying just, just you know, completely forget about it, but you know, you you kind of gotta let it go somewhat. If you're not, if if you can't control the situation, you gotta let it go somewhat. And so, with adversity, what I always did um, when I was in high school, you know, my dad he was retired from the military in 2013, mm-hmm. and that's when I moved to San Antonio, Texas, actually. Mm-hmm. So I moved to San Antonio, Texas, in um, 2013. Um, fall 2013, I started school here. Um, you know, my father was, he was experiencing a lot of difficulties. Um, he's got awful PTSD. Um, you know, just a whole lot of things going on with him, you know, um, really, really difficult time in and out of the psych ward. And so, you know, I, I, I tell all this not to, to make it as a sob story, but I, I just say, it, you know, as you know, then he couldn't hold a job, you know? We, we, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have, you know, a whole lot of food sometimes, you know. So, you know, um, I was working in a lot of high school. I had I stopped playing football, you know. I, the school I moved to here didn't have wrestling, which really disappointed me. I wanted to wrestle all through high school, but I had to stop after my sophomore year. So, really, all I had then was, you know, school and powerlifting. And then I was working, you know, quite a bit. 
um, to make money and, you know, to get food and stuff. And, you know, that's how, that's where a lot of my diet actually came from was from where I worked at at the time. And so I mentioned all of this just to say, and, you know, during this time period, you're also, you're trying to get into college, you know, you're, you're trying to get good grades, you're really hectic and you're, everything's just coming at you at once. And so, you know, it's a lot for a 16, 17, 18 year old, you know, person, kid to, sh- to shoulder with, whatever you'd like to call it. So to get through all this adversity and then to start college and to move on and to deal with more adversity, what I have to say is you have to believe, you have to believe in yourself. You have to frame everything that's going on differently. Yeah, it's, it's difficult and, you know, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Um, so what do I mean by frame, frame this di- yes. th- all this differently when you're, when you're thinking about it? Mm-hmm. So you have to stop looking at it like you have to stop feeling sorry for yourself, one. And you have to realize that there is an issue. First step to solving a problem is realizing there is a problem. So there were issues going on. And you can't solve all of them. But everything that you can solve, you should solve it. You will feel better about it. And, you know, think about the future. Think about a year, five years, ten years from then. Think about your plan. Think about how you're actively working towards that plan despite all of the difficult things or obstacles that are in your way. And yeah, some things, you know, may may deter you. And, you know, I like to think of progress, you know, kind of as a line, almost. You know, you will go forward, but sometimes things will happen and it will push you back some, it'll push you back some, it'll push you back a lot. But ultimately, you know, there's there's two directions to this line. It's it's bi-directional. You can also go forward. Mm-hmm. So when you're being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, you have to remember that you can also still go forward. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. So this aligns with what I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. So so when you when you believe in yourself and when you believe in that and you believe that things can get better, things will eventually start to get better <laughs> with time. It always happens. You know, had a lot of difficult things happen growing up, but things always got better. Things always got better. And you know, when I started believing that, when I started believing. You know, that what I was doing was for something and was for a purpose. Um, you know, that's when I noticed real, real significant changes in my life. You know, find, find purpose is, would be the other suggestion I would make. Find purpose. Don't remember. Remember where you came from. Don't forget, you know, your purpose. And you, you keep working at it. You, you have to be, you know, relentless. Mm-hmm. You know, in this world, you need to be relentless. You need to relentlessly pursue your dreams, pursue your goals, you know. Mm-hmm. And with some dreams, you know, you have to realize sometimes if you're on a sinking ship, sometimes, you know, if you have these really grandiose or unrealistic dreams, you know, come back down to earth and really frame everything that, that you're thinking about. Can this, is this realistic? Is this achievable? And even if it seems far-fetched, I'm not saying far-fetched isn't realistic or achievable. I'm just saying, um, completely impossible is not achievable. Like I'm going to jump off 50 stories or a hundred stories and I'm going to survive yeah. because that's what I want to do. Delusion. Yeah. Delusion. Delusion. Yeah. That's great. Perfect. Perfect word. <laughs> um, yeah. So don't be delusional, but even if your goals are far-fetched, you know, they are, they can be and you know, should be realistically and achievable. I think. Did you learn that through looking at other people's stories or is that something that you learned on your own? So there was two sides to that. It's intrinsic. Um, I had to believe in myself that I could do these things and it was also looking at people. Um, my biggest inspiration in powerlifting, by far, hands down, is a man by the name of Gene Bell. Gene Bell resides here in San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. and trains so many people. I've seen him. He's trained a young gentleman who's recently started um, training for Navy SEALs. He's trained myself. He's trained um, other top-level powerlifters, elite international powerlifters. He's, he was an elite international powerlifter himself. Um, I believe he was an eight-time IPF world champion in powerlifting in the 183-pound weight class, 181-pound weight class back then. And, um, you know, he helps everybody. He helps the disabled. He helps the poor. He helps those that are privileged. He doesn't discriminate. And, you know, he's such a moving and powerful force in the powerlifting world. And, you know, a lot of my success I can honestly attribute to a lot of the lessons I have learned from him since I was 16 years old over the years. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so he taught you life lessons along with the training yeah. and things like that. Gene wasn't just a coach to me, and I don't like to call him just a coach. He was a mentor to me. He was like 
another, you know, father, not a biological father, yeah, but another yeah, father in essence. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Is there, are there any like specific valuable skills that Jane taught you that you want to share any, like a story, anything like that, that you want to share before we sure there's a quick story. <laughs> okay. Yeah, please. And, um, so Go ahead. I remember when I was, you know, 16 years old, I first met Gene Bell. I just moved to San Antonio and I was training at Olympic gym with him. Um, it's a gym right down the road at New Braunfels. 8611 North New Braunfels. Yeah. That's the address. And I um, remember it. And so um, we were training down there one day and I'm deadlifting and I told him, you know, I'm like, you know, I really want to deadlift 700 pounds one day. And that was like my goal. That was my big goal. I wanted to deadlift 700 pounds so badly. I've already done 540. You know, I was 160 away yeah. and I was just so infatuated with numbers. You know, it was such a huge number game to me. And powerlifting is a number game, so I'm not downplaying yeah, of the, course, the of severity course. of that. But, you know, it was just all numbers to me. And he's just like, okay. So I remember the first month he was training me. Um, and again, I, I, don't, I didn't like to refer to him as this, but as a coach, he was training me in the first month. And every time we would train, he would just load on plates. And he wouldn't really tell me what the weight was. And he would just tell me not to really worry about it or calculate it. And, you know, so to get to 700 pounds, you first have to get to 600 pounds. And um, it was funny because one one month after I moved to San Antonio, I did my first 600-pound deadlift at 600, I think, 15 pounds yep. or so. And it was just because he was just doing that. He was just loading on plates, and he'd be like, all right, you'll do this in like three or four minutes. I'm like, all right, sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> I was always motivated. I was always there. I was always ready to work. And, you know, um, it was just so awesome because – the, the lesson that I'm trying to, to, to put out from, from this story, if it's confusing, is um, don't always be so worried or infatuated with, with, you know, a number or chasing numbers. Sometimes you'll be surprised what kind of progress you can make if you just, if you just train. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> you, just, you just train. Yeah. You know? Um, some, some days, you know, on the road to 600 deadlift, I was deadlifting 300 pounds for reps. Some days, yeah. I was deadlifting 550 pounds for reps, you know? But for the first month or for the first couple of months, I didn't really ever know what the weight was. I didn't try to calculate it. If he put it on and he said do it, I trusted in him. I trusted in his guidance, and I would just do it. I think the message here is that you trusted the process. Trusting the process. Trusting the process. Trusting yeah. those that are far more experienced than yeah. you are, and that know, and that know, you know, they know their stuff, and and just not being so worried about numbers all the time. Sometimes just go and train, and have fun, and just be motivated and be fired up, and you'll be surprised what you can do. Yeah, it can be like when you've got that goal in mind, it can be almost like self-defeating when you think about it too much, right? It's like yeah. you want to have you you want to have goals because like you want to have like, okay, like I have this number goal in my head of like something I want to hit because I do have my own numbers. But at the same time, it's like if you focus only on that, it can be really self-defeating because you're like, shit, like I still haven't done, you know, my 700 pound deadlift or my, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So trying to get to 800 pounds on the deadlift for me was was absolute hell i attempted it like three or four times i would always get it off the ground yeah. but i would not lock it out and it was just a huge mental block so a couple no one week ago i finally did it so i did 804 pounds is my last heavy lift for my training cycle for my deadlift before the u.s open going into this meet and that day i i could just remember the thought going through my head and i was loading on 804 pounds but at that point i didn't care that it was 800 pounds i all i was thinking was Fuck it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and then yeah. and then I, it came up really well, and I was like, huh. And then again, they, you know, like 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 in your you know your slogan, it builds the confidence, man. Yeah, it, it built confidence. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. It was it was great. Ashton, what would you say is your purpose then? Because you you talk about this a lot. Um, so I first thought that my purpose was, you know. When I started powerlifting, I realized that I could be something in it, a real powerhouse, was to be the best powerlifter there was. Continue. Keep going. I just got to check one thing. You can keep I talking. thought that, that at the time, my purpose was to be the best powerlifter in the entire world, that I could potentially be the strongest one day and the best. And, yeah. you know, I just thought, you know, I had surging confidence after, you know, my first few meets where I was just continuously breaking records. And I won't say that it got to my head because... I never set unrealistic goals for my next meets, but 
you know, I just had a surge of confidence. I had feeling that, you know, it may not be five years from now. It may not be three years from now, but one day I could be one of the best powerlifters in the world. And I believed it. And I truly believed in that. And I thought that was my, you know, purpose at the time. But that, too, changed. So I started to realize as I was climbing the ladder in ranks of powerlifting, and I was doing it so young, that a lot of people really started looking up to me. And a lot of people, you know, believed in my ability, just like I did, to to be one of the best powerlifters. And they they looked up to me as a role model. And I, and I realized that, wow, I'm not just, you know, Joe Smo powerlifter. I'm not just a guy trying to be the best powerlifter in the world now. Like, there are people that really look up to me and, you know, that think so highly of me. And, you know, I've always felt an internal responsibility to not only not disappoint those people, but never to steer those people in the wrong direction with training, with purpose, with, you know, mentality. Um, so my purpose in powerlifting is not just to be one of the best. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of it. I still want to be one of the best. Yeah, that's very clear. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's also to kind of be some a shining light, almost of hope, you know, for for people that aren't doing really well in life, for people that you know don't have a lot of inspiration or motivation to go out and do the training and do the work it takes to get to where they want to be. And it just doesn't have to be powerlifting; it can be anything. I try to exceed. I see standards, and I try to exceed all of those standards in everything I do in life, always. I always like to be one step ahead. I always like to, I'm just, by nature, just, you know, a competitive person. And by nature, um, I feel that truly I have what it takes to be a good leader. And so I do my best to lead others. I do my best to help train others. I do my best to, you know, give out great, you know, guidance, give out great, you know, advice. And sure, you know, um... I could probably potentially be making a lot more money off of all of it, but you know, I'm not really doing all that for money. The U.S. Open, I'm honestly kind of doing for money. <laughs> yeah, what's the what's the prize this year? Uh, for the US 40 thousand dollars for best Wilkes. Christ. Yeah. So I yeah, don't know <laughs> yeah, you have a good shot at that. Man, yeah. Right now, I, I feel like I have a decent shot. I feel like right now, again, it's the it's the it's the self-efficacy and it's the confidence. You know, I'm not physically the strongest guy that will be there, but I believe that I can win it. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it. And I'm trying to speak it into existence. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens, man. But I'm going to have a lot of fun out there. Yeah. And I can see, you know, I've, I've never been under your leadership, but I can see how you would be a good leader because you're giving us all the telltale signs. So like you've already f- reflected that you have an immense amount of capacity for empathy and a good leader empathizes with people that he's instructing or he or Absolutely. she is instructing. Uh, a good leader is not a tyrant. A good leader listens and, and, and follows up with people and is like, okay, so like, what's going on with you? A good leader knows how to set aside their own ego so they can actually understand what's going on with somebody and try to reach them. I 100% agree. Leaders have confidence and leaders do lead from the front. But it doesn't mean that they don't care about all the people they're leading. Yeah. Yeah. There, and there, there's so many situations where people think that you sh- that, that that's what a leader is and it's not. Yeah. Being yeah. a boss and being a leader are two different things, John. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So what would a boss be for you? What would that mean? <laughs> a boss is just somebody... And they can be sometimes considered tyrannical. Sometimes they can be considered laissez-faire, you know, where they don't really, you know, they're not really, really leading. Yeah. A boss just, a boss doesn't inspire or influence people the way that a leader does. They don't have the same charisma. They don't have the same, you know, people skills. They don't have the same, um, Mm -hmm. they don't have the same audacity when they do things. They don't have the same sense of purpose, you know. They just they do things because, you know, it's it's just part of the job or it's, you know, just something they're supposed to get done. And they just delegate. Good leaders do delegate too. Delegation is important in leadership. Yes. But they just they just sort of just delegate things and I'm I'm giving it a negative connotation right now. And they just, you know, they're not always they don't always put the needs of their people and concerns of their people. As a priority, that's that's what I would say. Yes, yes, I I love it. So not that, but I love your explanation of it because there is a distinct difference. There and, is, I and I think in the leadership space, there needs to people need to look at that the the, the side of like empathizing. Um, that being said, like coaches, trainers, all everyone needs to take a look at that. Teachers, like you've got to understand where your people are under what Massively your people are important. going through yes. in order to really 
elevate them. It's not something you can't just tell people. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, you have to like understand why, why they are the way that they know are. the situation. Yeah. To the best that you can. Yeah. Okay. All right. So right now you're, and we're going to kind of jump a little bit forward cause we're, we're getting shorter on time. Uh, I, I, f- I get the feeling we could talk for three hours. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, all right. So right now you're a college student and you've been lifting, you know, this whole time. Yeah. I've been doing the powerlifting thing and you've faced all this adversity. And that being said, you have a degree that's pretty interesting that I think <laughs> it makes sense why you would end up studying what you're studying. So tell, tell people what you're studying right now. Right. So <laughs> I'm actually a psychology major at the university of yeah, Texas. No San shit. Antonio. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. man. And, yeah. um, you know, I love psychology. I've loved psychology. Um, I started reading just books mm-hmm psychological books in the 11th grade. The first book I ever read was The Science of Evil. Um, it helped me understood. It really helped me understand the concept of empathy. empathy. Is it is it a good book? Should it's a I, great should book. Should I put it on our list here? Yes. All right, keep telling me here. Um, the Science of the Evil Science of Evil will really help you reframe the way you think about evil. It's um, or what we consider evil. Evil is kind of almost a subjective word. Good is kind of a subjective word too, yes. you know. Um, but it really helps you understand why people can do cruel things. It's, it's a really great book. Um, it also helps you understand empathy and what empathy truly means. And um, just just a dirty definition of it, empathy is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, walk a mile in it, and just kind of know that mentally. That, that's kind of what empathy is. Your ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand, you know. You don't have to understand completely. You're not going to know their entire life, but, you know, to kind of be empathetic, understand their situation. You don't even have to agree. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, I encounter people all the time that I, I'll be honest, that I do not like. <laughs> like, you know, I meet somebody and yeah. I'm like, part of the process, though, I think for us to grow as people is looking at that person's situation and being like, I can see why you would be this way. Yes. I can at the very least understand what's going on, what are the mechanisms in your life, the history that's gotten you to where you're at. Empathy will help with... Uh, It'll, it'll open your eyes if you're more empathetic, and it'll just help you understand people better. Yeah, it's such a useful tool. It is. Yeah, because then you're – you're. I, I think that when you empathize – and I'm sorry, was I cutting you off? No, you're fine. I think when you have the ability to empathize, you're now in control of situations that you might have not been in control of in the future. So, like, and you, you know, you can you can tell me if I'm completely off base or if That's you actually – you put it in a great way, John. Um, yeah. Psychologists, okay, I believe – should be able to do three things. They should be able to explain, explain their surroundings, explain people, predict what they're going to do next, and control for those predictions. And so control is such a massive part of that. And it's like the whole realm of psychology. Control is big with confidence, um, with, with hopelessness, with, you know, um, depression, you know, lack of control or, you know. Control is just so big in so many different you know, schools of thought and psychology. Um, that control that you're talking about right there, what you said was great, was is very critical. Yeah, it's 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 important, man. It's it's you you summed it up much better than I could. <laughs> yeah, so we're so we're gonna take it from there. So so like you're in school right now and yes. what you've also got the military thing going on. Do you wanna explain yeah. to us what's going on with that? So just quickly with that, um yeah. the the training that I do, um I do PT every week, several days a week. Um I do lots of running um, I also do what's known as ruck marching. It's kind of like backpacking, yes. except a lot less enjoyable. <laughs> it's not. It's not uh, Instagram backpacking. Yeah, like pictures of you at the park. Yeah, not like that at all. You're in, <laughs> you're in a full uniform. You got your boots on, um, and I use the standard issue boots. There, people. A lot of people don't find them particularly comfortable, but you know, mm-hmm. it's whatever. Mm-hmm. I've got tough feet, um, but I I enjoy it. But a lot of people don't enjoy it. But um, so I do a lot of that. I've actually done three marathons. So I've done a marathon my freshman year, my sophomore year, and this year, my junior year. What, what distance? 26.2 miles. You- so I've done the Baton Death March three times with 50, 50 pound rucksack and uh, full <laughs> uniform. <laughs> okay. In, like the, in the New Mexico desert. <laughs> you did this in New Mexico? Yes. Dude, White New, Sands, Mexico New Mexico is dry and hot as hell. <laughs> yeah. Yep. At the end of March, it's definitely dry and hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Okay. Where'd you do your marathons? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did all three of them at White Sands, New Mexico. My um, God. <laughs> this installation up in New Mexico. Um, it's about 
Wait, wait, wait. Running marathon, not a, a ruck walk marathon? It's like a ruck walk. So okay, you, run okay, and, you. you run and walk. So the distance. Yeah, 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 yeah. 26.2 okay, okay. miles. And with 50 pounds on your back, it's pretty tough. Um, but, you know, for me, it builds character and it builds confidence and the mentality that we've been talking about this whole time. Um, it's good training. Man, I so agree with that. I think there's something, too, because like I was telling you, one of the first things I got into is running. There's something about just being stuck somewhere and yeah. having to get somewhere and, like, getting thirsty and being tired tired and being like fuck like i don't know if i can yeah you're dying yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah literally it's like you know and you can't you can't just pull over and give up yeah you know like, yeah you can't you, fall out of a run you can't no. stop <laughs> yeah it's not like a deadlift where it's like you can just be like oh like i didn't deadlift. yeah it's okay and yeah yeah drink your protein and leave like it's not no, it's yeah. not like that like there's something about like getting yourself in a run or a long distance walk that just is like that fucks with your mind in yeah. a different way it is definitely a long different. game totally different in a mental yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, that's really that's where i get my um my perseverance kind of yeah yeah yeah. Training in. yeah, yeah, yeah. like mm -hmm. really just like i'm in i'm done like doing this like this is going to be long it's going to be difficult and i just got to buckle down for it and, it and you know it's good it's very good mental training it's very good training i agree like uh, okay all right so this is a question that you brought up and now i want to ask you also so how do you maintain mass given that you're doing yeah all that that's the tough one okay. um and people get tired of me saying this but it goes back to the things i mentioned earlier sleep uh diet and training yeah. and so obviously you're gonna have to you're gonna have to adjust your training because it's it's hard to ruck three days run three days a week ruck two or three days a week lift four days a week, um, go to school full time. And you're a cadet, you have to fulfill all those responsibilities as well. Um, you know, if you're in a relationship, you know. Um, uh, yes, I am. I and <laughs> yeah. she and we've been we were just talking about you this have today. To, you yeah. have to balance that as well. Yeah. And so all of those things are going on. You know. And so training. Um, you have to adjust it. You have to really focus on the things that truly matter to your sport, sort of, if that makes sense. So yes. For powerlifting, my training is always centered around the bench press, the squat, the deadlift, and I throw in the overhead press too, just because it's a good upper body exercise. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, if, if I go into a gym and I've rucked six to 12 miles that morning and I'm tired and I'm dog tired from classes and I still have to train and I'm there with my powerlifting team and I have to train, I focus on, you know, what truly matters, honestly, at that point. If anything, if I don't do anything else in that weight room, I'm going to finish my squat session. If I don't do anything else, I'm going to do my deadlift or my bench press, my important compound movements. movements. Yeah. And auxiliaries, you will have to cut down. That is the thing. You will need to probably reduce those. I would, a good rule of thumb for me is if I'm doing a lot, then I'll cut them in half. And if I'm dog tired and I'm doing a whole lot, then I'll cut it down to one to two auxiliaries that are like really big. For me, those big auxiliaries are like your pull-ups, your weighted dips, weighted pull-ups, mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. Really just like, really, it's really simple stuff. Really? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not as difficult as people think, but it, okay. I take that back. It is as difficult as people think, but adjusting your training doesn't have to be as difficult as people think. Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Cause like there's so much, okay. All right. So my experience is that, you know, you have more experience than me. So just hands down, I mean, you've been training since you were a youth, you know, I didn't really get into training until I was an adult. So you have a lot more experience in that area, but I, was a long distance runner and I got super, super skinny and I was lifting, but I wasn't, I didn't have programming and I wasn't taking all those right. things into consideration. Yeah. Those things are huge, especially yes. with maintaining mass. Yes. I mean, I've honestly been bench pressing over 400 pounds raw since I was 17 years old in high school. Yeah. And then I got hurt really bad my senior year of high school. I recovered, you know, and everything, but I've been mentioned like 400 since like high school <laughs> and you know, I'm still like at that low 400 range So that's another thing for the future. I'm gonna try to push forward But that will probably be the hardest thing to progress when you're doing all that is your bench press by far because why is that? Your bench press is just so sensitive, you know, it's more sensitive I think than the squat and deadlift to just the world Man, in general and to your body weight I would agree with that because like I've been cutting and uh, Right now I'm, I'm maintaining but I was cutting and in my cutting process my bench dropped. Yeah. Yeah it happens so much one day I'll crush 420 pounds 420 pounds and it'll feel easy another day. I'm struggling with like, you know 390 pounds and yeah, that's, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's still 390 pounds, but like, you know, that's like a 30 pound difference. And that's like a pretty significant difference from 420 to 390. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those like Dr. Jackal, Mr. Hyde kind of things that yeah. you kind of go, 
you know, either way sometimes. So that's one thing I'm going to really focus on training after the open. But, um, but yeah, to keep mass, make sure you're eating more calories, hopefully more than you're burning. Um, so whatever you eat normally, when you're doing all those things, eat more. And if you think that you're eating more, eat more because you're not. <laughs> Usually you're not, especially if your mass just isn't staying at all and it's just completely peeling off. You, you will need to eat significantly more, have more big meals. I like to do... When I'm, when I'm trying to gain weight, I'll do two or three big meals in a day. And by big meals, I mean like 1,500-calorie meals. And then in the morning or at night, you know, if you have creatine or if you have mass gainer, you know, use that. It's a little unconventional use for it, but, you know, I don't usually use supplements. But there have been times where I've gotten sick and I've needed to gain some mass back and I'll use, like, mass gainer. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the supplement thing. We, yeah. we have an episode about that where yeah. I talk about this exact thing because a lot of people think they have to in order to get big. Yeah, because, but it's not necessary. Yeah, no, it's not necessary. It's not particularly necessary, no. no. I, most of the years, most of my training, I don't use supplements. It's just – it's I see it as a useful tool. So, like, yeah. you know, like, I have mine. I have a protein in the morning just because I'm not – I don't want to cook in the morning. So, yeah. So I just make it – It's easy. Cake. It's fast. Yeah. It's quick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's helpful. It also helps you, you know, like that with the, with the busy schedule or if you don't want to cook in the morning. Yeah. The supplements can be useful for me in the sense that it helps adjust with life. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're running a lot or doing a lot, then maybe you want to retain some more, you know, some more water weight, you know, use creatine, you know, if you want, you know, recovery and faster recovery and you need extra protein, you know, you've got extra protein sitting there, you know, if you're trying to keep on body weight or get a little bit bigger while you're doing, you know, a lot of running. You've got mass gainer sitting right there, you know. Um, but if, you know, if you're just kind of on cruise control and you're training and you're just, you know, eating healthy and, you know, you're not doing crazy like marathons or, you know, life isn't like ass, you know, just raining down hell and stress on you, then, you know, it's not really as necessary at that point. But, you know, you know, like like for other things, too, you know, it's, it's still a useful tool. Yeah. Awesome. So what in the last few minutes that we've got in here, uh, what are your what tra- do you have a certain no i don't want to ask that question because you already told us you did a little bit of power you do power building yeah what that's they call it what you do. yeah power building which is that's what i like to do too it's just yeah. fun i, I like i it like it's fun yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah, a lot I, of fun you feel good you feel strong it's, yeah it's good yeah yeah it's just, you get to do that extra stuff you don't get to do if you're just going in a traditional just like just lifting yeah yeah, yeah. so so i enjoy that let me see all right i guess my next question is is do you have do you want to share about your next upcoming competition right now. Sure. Yeah. So I will be going to compete in San Diego, California this Saturday at the U.S. Open. It's a USPA meet, um, huge payout. Um, the competition there is stacked. This will be by far the most competitive meet I've probably ever competed in my oh, life. Oh, wait, wait. This is the expo that Gracie Jones is, is helping with, I think. I, I think, think so. Gracie yeah, Jones yeah, yeah, and... It's it's called the current U.S. Open. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, sorry, I just had to interrupt. Gracie Jones, actually, this. I think yeah. she, I think she sends I think she sends the emails. Her or somebody else. Man, she's super active in the, yeah. in the community. She's yeah. really wanting to put the money in there. So so go ahead. Yeah. Her name yeah. has been tossed around a lot in there. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That meet will be by far the most competitive meet I've ever competed in. Um, I've competed in IPF meet. I've won USAPL Raw Nationals, but yeah. this meet will take the cake for the most competitive meet I've ever done, and I am beyond excited for that because you know. I love the challenge. I don't like walking into like a national level meet or an, this is an international meet, an international level meet and just knowing that I'm going to win. I love the challenge. I love the, you know, the, the anxiety, the butterflies that I get before the meet. Um, it helps me perform better. So it's going to be, it's going to be good. Do you have anybody, <laughs> do you want to tell us like somebody that you got your eye on that you're like, Oh, I know that person and I are mm. going to be like, there are a couple of people. Please, do you mind telling yeah. us like, okay, there's a guy named Joe Sullivan. Okay, I, li- I just listened to Joe's Joe talk on the USPA podcast. Joe's podcast, yep. yeah, he yeah, was yeah, talking about it. Yeah. Yep, Joe Sullivan is probably one of the biggest biggest threats. Joe Sullivan, Ben Pollack, Malik Durstein's in the 181, and John Hacker in the 181. So those four guys yeah. to beat for Wilkes will be incredibly difficult. And there are other guys too that I'm not mentioning that I haven't mentioned right yeah. now but there there are definitely other lifters there and they are very very strong and very competitive so. yeah 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 oh my god yeah so so you're anticipating going head to head with them because i remember that was the case yeah. at the uspa at the at the uh naturally fit naturally fit games yeah, ben yeah with Pollock. ben Pollock? Yeah, 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 yeah yeah 
Yeah. It's it's going to be just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I anticipate. And you guys, it's interesting because you both have the same kind of like, you're both bodybuilding looking kind of guys. Like yeah. it's, it's a good like like competition. It you is. Know? Like it's, if, if we could put you head to head, like have a poster of you against him. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's going to be so awesome yeah. because it's not even just us two. There's going to be like yeah, 10 of, of course. us. And we're all going head to head. It's like a big battle royale almost. Man. Because it could go almost any way. Like I think any one of us could honestly win that meet if we so have he, just a great day. So he is set to go because I had he also is. heard that he might. Okay, he is. He just okay. recently, like a day or two ago, posted about it. He's going to be there. He might I'm have excited. been fucking with people's heads because like he was saying, <laughs> I heard he was saying that he might not That he go. wasn't going to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pulling an Arnold there. Now, man. me personally, the whole time I was thinking he's going to be there. He won last year. Yeah. This is too sweet for him to pass up. And I know that he's had, you know, other things going on in life. And, you know, Ben, you know, is a great guy, you know. Um, but I just had a feeling in my – and I always kept this on the back burner. I should expect Ben Pollack to be there. And I was 100% right about it. Psychologists explain connect control. So, yeah. <laughs> I knew he was going to be there. Of course. Of course. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Cool. I'm, I'm glad to know this, like, little – there's, like, this rivalry kind of thing going on. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. But it's, like – it sounds like there's a friendly rivalry. Because, yeah. Because when I hear you guys talk about each other, like, Joe, Joe, Joe said nothing but good things about you. Yeah. Joe's a, like, Joe's a wonderful guy. Ben yeah. is a great guy. Very yeah. intelligent. Um, they're, they're, they're hardworking people, you know. In a lot of ways, they're a lot like myself, so it's going to be fun. Yeah. And these are good guys, you know? So. That's awesome, man. Yeah. All right. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. I'm just going to ask you a few, like, quick questions. So I ask people, like, just fun questions. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, are you a coffee person? No. I don't Okay, no. Good for I, you. I actually never. Oh, I, so I've only drank coffee maybe okay. twice in my life. Okay. All right. So you're not a coffee person. That's okay. All right. <laughs> do you drink, do you drink? Do you take pre-workout or anything like that? Any, I know you don't do that. I don't use pre-workout. Dude, that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that shit wrecks your body, like most of it. Yeah. Some, some of the, especially the really extreme ones. Yeah. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. I've heard a lot of things, but. I don't know. I mean, I don't mess with it. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Good for you, man. Um, all right. So, uh, do you have, given that you're so busy, right? Favorite shows or TV shows? Do you have time Ooh. for them? If you don't, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, a lot of people, some my close friends know this about me, but a lot of other people don't know this about me. I love anime. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's one of my things. You were living in, in uh, Korea. Yeah, Korea, that's yeah. that's when I got into anime. Yeah. Uh, anime is awesome, actually. Um, yeah. Lots lots of like really cool, delicate storylines and plots and yeah. stuff. Like you, you would never know until you watch it. You'd be like, yeah. "What the hell is this cartoon thing?" And you watch it, you're like, "Wow, I did not expect that." Mm -hmm. Love anime. I love a show called Black Mirror. Um, mm -hmm. I also love comedy too. So, At favorite comedian? Ooh, that's hard, man. Uh, or what's what's the first one that comes to mind? Ah. Uh, Oh my God, this is really difficult. No, man. it's okay. I'm a, there's, I'm a there's big, several that are just it's all right. spiraling it's a, in my head right now. A, the first one that came to mind for me was Chappelle. Like I'm a big Dave Chappelle, Chappelle is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Chappelle is so funny. He is one of my favorite. He he would probably be in top five. Yeah, top three. Top three. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. He would probably be top three. I didn't see the race. anime thing coming, but I can kind of see why. Because, like, what people don't realize in American audiences is that, like, in Asian countries, anime and manga and stuff, that, that's all really prevalent. It's, it's like, yeah. very, very it's much so like a part of it. popular. Yeah, it's super popular. Like, adults read it, grandparents read it. Like, it's not like how it is in the States where it's, like, Cartoons you have to be are for kids. Talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be kind of, like, the comic. And I'm a big comic book person. I've read anime. Oh, and awesome yeah, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's, like, in our, in our society, it's almost like more like you have to be kind of like almost like nerdy <laughs> to, to kind like of appreciate that. that stuff yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that's not the case around in other places <laughs> no, like, no everyone just likes it but yeah. you know i mean i am a nerd so I mean, <laughs> yeah me too man yeah, yeah. <laughs> great that's, that's cool all right so uh favorite place to eat i know it's going to be an asian restaurant because i always see you posting like, oh, like yeah all right favorite asian restaurant in town and what's the the, the Ooh, asian culture in town mm. yeah yeah come on I don't even know what the restaurant is called. <laughs> okay, that's, okay, that's all right. Because it doesn't even have like a really like a name outside of it. But it's oh, this, then that's how you know it's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it's like, uh, but it's this restaurant. It's near UTSA. Okay, okay. And they serve like over a hundred different like um, Vietnamese yeah. dishes, and my girlfriend is Vietnamese. Yeah. So you know we go there often, and I really love Vietnamese food. I love Vietnamese food. I love Japanese food. I love Korean food. Yeah. You know. Um, actually, I like those three more than I like Chinese food, which is like surprising to a lot of people. Chinese food is good too. Don't get me wrong, but I love Korean and Japanese food. It's healthy. It's Vietnamese food as well. Yeah. Healthy. Um, helps the skin a lot. Helps keep kind of a younger look a lot of times. It's really good for you. And um, 
it's just a, such an awesome restaurant. And the guy there, he always, you know, there's there's an older gentleman that works there, and he always um, talks about, he always says to me and my girlfriend, he's like, oh, well, I'd arm wrestle you, but I don't want to embarrass you in front of your girlfriend. <laughs> so we always have a fun time with him going there. There's, That's like, cool, interesting man. people there, and it's, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, let me see if there's any other, like, kind of, like, random question. You want to give some shout-outs real quick to your sponsors before we, we wrap it up here? Yes. So I'd like to give a shout-out to SPD. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot of awesome equipment from them. Um, thank you for all of that. Their their belts, uh, knee sleeves, awesome. Mm-hmm. Kilo Cartel, my main guys, especially Joey, who's the Rocking owner. Rocking the shirt right here. Yeah. This this is baseball tees, and I love baseball tees. And he like had baseball tees made. Guy's a great sponsor. He really cares about his people. He looks out for us best he can. He's a busy guy. Um, thank you for everything, Joey. Awesome. Are they here in town, or where are they? Joey's from? in uh, Louisiana. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's Stayed awesome. over. Is there anybody else you want to give a shout out to before you finish up? Anybody? Anything else that you? Yes. Want to say? Look him up on Instagram. His name is Chessnificent. He is my hype man and one of my very good friends here in San Antonio, and he's also a very, very, very strong powerlifter. And I'd like to give one more shout out to my girlfriend Helen Lee. There we go. Awesome, <laughs> man. Uh, where can people find you, Ashton? What do you mean? Online. Where can people find you? Where can, oh, people, right. where can people follow you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is really simple. It's just Ash117. It has two H's. <laughs> A-S-H-H-117. Ash117. Yeah. Um, Facebook, I'm Ashton Ruska. Um, you know, if you ever have questions about training, if you have questions about, you know, how to deal with adversity, if you have questions about mentality or reframing the way we think about things, you know, I'm usually happy to help, and I usually answer a lot of messages. Um, a lot of people s- sometimes are afraid to reach out to people that have bigger following bases. And I'm not saying that mine's huge or anything, but bigger following bases just because, you know, oh, well, they notice me or answer me. I usually do my best to answer. He answered me. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. I just feel like that's kind of a thing, you know. I just, you know, I, li- I like to answer. So don't don't be afraid to, to communicate. Awesome. And then I realized that I do have one last question. And Absolutely. It's take yeah. one minute. What is the deal with the dad shoes? I'm I'm rocking like I wear these like like Those hybrid nice. like <laughs> 80s like, thanks like yeah. these dad meets like kind of like hip hop Adidas and I like made sure to wear them today because well, you're always rocking <laughs> you're always rocking the dad shoes. What I have to say is um, about dad shoes. I don't know. There's just there's just something so compelling about the dad shoes. There's just a sense of responsibility that you have, you know. Um, it's like <laughs> I don't know the style. I just I personally I think it looks good on me. Um, Helen, she thinks it looks good on me. So it's it says you're a man who knows himself when, right. when, you, when you can wear and he's confident he's not afraid to wear his dad shoes anywhere <laughs> no, I've never the, I can wear my dad shoes to a club I can wear them anywhere I guarantee you there we go alright people <laughs> this is Ashton uh, signing off uh you can find me at uh, t- Instagram, the Total Body Training Instagram page, or on Facebook.com slash TotalBodyTraining.web. Until next time, peace.